I'm your host, Jeff Dawson, for another episode of Dawson's Domain, where we cover the spectrum of life's pressing issues and events, from politics to relationships, sports to horror, alternative history to poetry, humor to baseball coaching, and everything in between. Good afternoon, Jeff Dawson from a very cloudy, cool, hilly Dallas, Texas. I'm sending a text, so bear with me just a minute. Someone's trying to find the show. And how are you this fine post-Thanksgiving Saturday? I had a good one. I hope you did too. I went to my daughter's and got to harass my granddaughter's grandson and chat with my daughter's mother-in-law. So that was a good Thursday. And we watched the Cowboy Raiders game, which I'll get into, which that was quite the adventure. And right now I am watching the OSU-Michigan game which for years, Jim Harbaugh, he just, he just couldn't get it together. And I don't want to get ahead of myself on that, but we'll get back to it. Uh, So I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I know I did. And I will be going to see my oldest son and his bride and her family tomorrow in Greenville. So that will be a, festive occasion because there yeah there's some games of importance to watch but I can take a little break I got to watch the I got to watch the Vikings beat the Packers that was greatness but let's get to all the wonderful promotion stuff all of my books are on Amazon Jeff Dawson and I'm not the one that wrote the gay book or the one about Quentin Tarantino. My titles are Occupation, Gateway P.O., Sabotage, Cauldron, Love's True Second Chance. You put any of those titles in with my name and then click on my name and it takes you to the site. And even though it's Black Friday, no, none of them are on sale. They're reasonably priced as is. And... Uh, there's no need to cut the price on. So they're all up and running. As I mentioned, each episode, these cost each of they they cost $99 to produce. So I'm always looking for contributions. And I've had many of late from Barry's and Mr. Pickle, Mr. Stewart, Mr. Allen, and some others that keep me on the air. And last night, it was Friday night, and I went to Dunstan's, and we got to celebrate Patty's 87th birthday. No, that's not right. Was it 97? No, I think it was 76. I think it was 75 or 76. And it was a small group. It was just uh, she, her hubby, Jerry, Doug, myself, and that was it. 
I guess everyone else was uh, still comatose from whatever they ate Thursday. Like I said, I went to my daughter's, but since I've been on Herbalife, there's only so much I'm going to eat, unlike years ago where I really didn't care. And if it was two plates and done, then it was two plates. But it was it was a good gathering last night. And they brought her out a cake, and it was something. But Patty couldn't eat it all, so she handed the rest to me, and I wasn't thinking because I really hadn't had anything sweet in a while. And I know I can't eat chocolate, but I just didn't care. Well, I paid for it that night. Chocolate and caffeine. I just cannot deal with caffeine after the blood clots in 2011, but hey, it was still good. And if you got to do with a little indigestion over a fine dessert, then yeah, it was worth it. It was definitely worth it. Also want to give a shout out to the Woodall Foundation. Now, this was my best friend, Mike Paling's daughter and her husband, Daniel's organization. And this is a mission trip they take to Moldavia once a year, at least once a year, and they're there for quite some time, but their whole deal is teaching sign to the deaf and doing mission work. And I know Mike couldn't be more proud of her. I remember the first time I met her was, I think, at the 20th reunion, and she was like, my God, Dad, who is this guy? And he said, it's okay, don't worry. But, uh, yeah, I've kept in touch with her through the years. And uh, she and her husband, they just do, do really good work. And they're always looking for donations to help fund their trips to go overseas. And it's, it is a very worthy cause. And you can tell because when they go, Becky's always posting pictures of it. So it's not one of these where you gave somebody money and then they disappear and you don't know what's going on. She has so much fun doing it. She can't help but post a drove pictures. And again, it's the Woodall Foundation. They're on Facebook. And it's just, just a great cause. They do good stuff. Okay, let me do my book reviews first. Now, this guy hasn't been active in social media for, I think, about eight years. His name's Tim Greeton. He referred to himself as the other author of Maine because that's where uh, Stephen King lives. <clears throat> and I'm not sure what happened, but I do remember Tim making a post that uh, I guess he got hacked or something and it caused a lot of mayhem and he just died out. And, and it was really sad because Tim had like 86,000 followers on Twitter. He had this really fun blog that he would do with authors. He's written some pretty good books like me. He's got some good ones. He's got some that are so, so, but he wrote from the heart and I met him, I think it was called The Spinning Wheel, when back in the day when Amazon actually had 
these chat rooms until they just became unbearable. I mean, the hatred that was flying around in some of those was just absolutely pathetic. So the first one is called the Santa shop. What happens to an up and coming attorney when he chooses to attend the firm's Christmas party without his wife and son who perished in an apartment fire? What strange roads leads him leads him to standing on the ice-laden metal bridge in Gray, Vermont on Christmas. Christmas Eve, staring down at a torrent of black cascading, rushing water, hoping to redeem his self-worth, to atone for the untimely death of his wife and son. You'll have to read this fine work to obtain the answers. You know, if you think about it, it's a wonderful life, that scene where Jimmy Stewart is standing on the bridge, and jumps in, you will have that flashback when you read this. But it's very, very well written. And it's not a it's not a long book, but it is worth the time. The second one is called Under Heaven. Let's see, this was the third book I read from Tim. How does it compare to the first two? Completely different in a good way. Of all the books I've read and reviewed over the past few years, this one falls into its own category, of which I will, I'm still trying to place. It reminds me of a fine Cuban cigar, perhaps a glass of Dom Perignon or a well-aged brandy. Each are to be savored and enjoyed, not rapidly consumed, waiting for a refill. Relax and enjoy the moment. The story starts out a little little slow with two diverging storylines. I went back several times to make sure I was reading the same story. I thought maybe a chapter or two were inadvertently snuck in. Got to be patient with this one. The two stories are paralleling, paralleling an unseen timeline. The lives of two boys, Nathaniel, who was murdered and caught in under heaven, a sort of way station between heaven and hell, and Jesse, who is very much alive, hoping his parents reunite, are going to collide in the most unusual way. I was 24 chapters into the read and still had no idea where the story was going. For some time, that can be frustrating. Refer back to how I described this read. It's not a six-pack of Miller Lite or a pack of Marlboro Lite 100s that the users frequently can't get enough of. This is a story for savoring and reflecting. Believe me, there is so much extra activity surrounding these two boys, one will need to regroup and reflect before moving forward. Enjoy the moment, then move forward with caution. In the end, you will be shaking your head in stunned silence and asking the questions, no way. I know I was. A great read for all. Now, Tim hasn't, from what I can tell, he hasn't released anything lately. So I don't know if he's just doing the Talon writing which would be a crime actually sent him a message to let him know I was going to review his books, but I didn't get a reply. And I don't know if that just means he's completely done with it all. And I know I've got his phone number, one of my old phones, because there was a time where I had the phone numbers from all these authors. And we would, if we had questions, we could just pick up the phone, give him a call and say, Hey, I need some help. Cause I know Tim was very helpful when I was trying to figure out how to number pages in my books. I still can't get that right. That's why if you get one of my printed copies, you won't see a page number on every page. And the reason is when you do the formatting on the Word document, it just between the headers, 
your header's on the top of the page. It's supposed to be your name on one page and the title of the book on the other. And I would get that set up right. And then you set in the page numbers and it all went to hell. I think I got one book out of 18 that I've done where it actually turned out right. And I couldn't repeat that if I had to. Some things just continually fluster and frustrate me. And that was when I'm just like, it took about an hour to get my printer to figure out how to print out my format for today. But I didn't get frustrated, just kept messing with it and messing with it. And then I dropped it on the floor, kicked it a few times, plugged it back in, damn thing works. Actually, if I'd have done that, it'd probably still be on the floor in pieces. But that's beside the point. But isn't that what men do? If it doesn't work, give it a good slap. Just don't do that with a woman because it will slap back and that's not going to turn out well. Not at all. One of you is probably going to be in jail. And that would be even worse. Well, there are some people I know that, that wouldn't be such a bad thing. So quick game update. Ohio State is down 20 to 35 to Michigan. With 550 left. And I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't been a fan of Jim Harbaugh, and I brought this up earlier. I'd have fired him in 2020, but the Michigan alumni have hung with them, and they are fine. This year, they have finally been beating the big teams. I mean, he's got a great winning percentage at Michigan, but when you look at the games that count, like Michigan State, Ohio State, they were just getting embarrassed. It's kind of like when OU plays OSU. OSU just gets embarrassed. They can have a great season, but then they get to this game, and it's like it all goes to hell, and that's been the hit on Harbaugh is you can't win the big one. Well, it actually looks, barring some absolutely bizarre occurrences, Let's see, Ohio State would have to score on this one. Maybe go for the two-point conversion, do an onside kick, get the ball back, score again, and tie it up. That would be exciting, but it has been an exciting game, a lot more so than some of this NFL crap that we've been watching. Now, I mentioned OSU. They play OU tonight. And one gal posted a mem that OSU has the record of their record against OU is like 90, 18, and six or something. It's just ridiculous. And I've mentioned this before. I'd have to be, OSU would have to win every game to tie the series. And for me to see that, I'd be 135. Nobody wants to see me at 135. And that was discussed last night when during Patty's birthday of you're going to have a hundred more. And I was like, I will not be around. And Sherry, her husband looked at me and said, no, if I got to stick around, you got to stick around. I said, no, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. That's just, that would be too much family time. I'll put it that way. Too much. But OSU and OU play tonight. So what's going to happen? Beats the hell out of me. Gundy's only beat him four times in the last 20 years. So Gundy always plays scared against OU. Those of you who have watched this game will see it. OSU will get a lead, 
and then he just kind of sits on it and doesn't do anything. He doesn't move forward. It's like, I got a lead. I'm going to hold it. You can't hold shit against OU. You have to keep hammering them. You have to keep hammering and keep the pressure up. Mike, if you guys get the lead tonight, it's not a matter of holding it. It's a matter of extending it. You've got to extend the lead. OU will score. This is a given. But you can't let up. This prevent defense, just leave that at the back door. Because OSU does have one of the best defenses in the country if you listen to the, quote, experts, which they are, are they're not even experts in use, use of toilet paper proper, properly. And I say that because last week when OSU played Texas Tech, in the first half, the, quote, expert announcers, well, if OSU doesn't blow out Texas Tech, they're not in the playoff hunt. Then in the second half, they're fawning over OSU and how they should be a representative in the playoff. Well, folks, they're not. You know, this is my OSU hat. I support Oklahoma State, but I'm also a realist about all this. There is no way in hell OSU is on the same level of Georgia Ohio State, Alabama, Cincinnati, Notre Dame, or Michigan. Those are the six teams in front of OSU. So if OSU blew out OU, then some really bizarre stuff would have to happen for them to be considered. And right now, with Michigan leading Ohio State, if they do hold on and win, well, That means Ohio State would probably drop down to fifth, and Michigan is going to move up to fourth. Cincinnati has already won. Georgia is destroying Georgia Tech. So those two slots are set up. Alabama is going to play Auburn. Now, I know that Alabama-Auburn game is the same as OU-OSU. Forget the rankings. It's an in-state rivalry. They don't like each other. And rankings mean nothing. But let's be honest, the Alabama-Auburn series is a hell of a lot closer than OSU-OU. But OSU has no chance. If they beat OU tonight, it's a great win. They'll get a great bowl game. But I don't want to hear any whining from my Oklahoma State associates that we should be in the playoffs. We should not. They're a good team, but all you have to do is watch these other six teams play and realize there is a difference between the top five or six in the rankings and the next five, and it's pretty big. I mean, look what Ohio State did to Michigan State. What was it, 49 to nothing at the half? Yeah, Michigan State just kind of went, boom, they just kind of disappeared. And people will say, well, they had a bad day. They had a really bad day. And I won't make excuses for Oklahoma State. If they win tonight, thumbs up. If they lose tonight, well, shit. But at least they'll go to a good bowl game. Now, the other debate is, does Cincinnati belong in the playoff? Well, the argument has always been they go by strength of schedule. So I actually went through 
their schedule, and they beat Notre Dame. Now, that's the only top-ranked team they play. Well, I went to Notre Dame, and they've only played two top-ranked teams. So, on paper, yeah, they're pretty even. Notre Dame's going to play Stanford today. They should destroy Stanford. They're like three and eight, three and seven. There's just, there's no way OSU gets in the top four. So who would be the top four? Well, we won't know until this Ohio State game is through, but definitely Georgia. Yeah, I'll pick Cincinnati. Alabama wins. That's a no-brainer. If Ohio State loses, then I'll have to give the nod to Notre Dame because they and Cincinnati are about the same. So that means Michigan and Ohio State will be going to a, a decent bowl game. But all this crap about OSU should be considered is that. It's just crap. I'm sorry. And that's from someone who has bled orange since sitting through OSU games and watching Nebraska and OU just absolutely trash them game after game after game. The only good thing about OSU playing Nebraska and OU back in the day was the liquor stores made a lot of money because that's what it took to ease the pain. Plus, the bars were open when the game was over. Because all of our games back in the day started either at 11 or they started at 1.30. That was it. We didn't have these night games. I can't imagine a night game. Talk about interfering with a drinking spree. That would suck. Games over at 10.30, bars close at 1. That's not enough time to stagger from the stadium down to Eskimo Joe's or Washington Street and knock down I was watching the game for a minute and knocked down four or five pitchers of beer because they were only like $4, if I'm not mistaken. But it was happy hour. They were like a dollar or $2, $2, I think. Yeah, it might have been 3-2 beer, but it didn't matter. It was cold and it went down and life was good. So that's where we're at with college football. Okay. Now, if you want to call in, I need to turn that chat thing on. If you want to call in, number is 888-627-6008 or 323-744-4831. And you can listen to it on iHeartRadio at 631-359-9353. Now, if you like the content, and I believe the station has got their monetization issue I think it's resolved or it's still working because I know they've been doing some major overhauls in the last three months, $2.99, $5.99, $9.99 a month. That's really not that much for the content that you get. And I only do this twice a month, but I do overload you, whether it's sports, whether it's politics, general issues of interest, I cover it. And I cover it fairly because 
yeah, I might be a conservative, but that doesn't mean I'm an idiot. Now, you know, what am I thankful for? A loving, forgiving God, friends, family, and not being a Democrat. I think that just goes without saying. I, I just can't. There was a time I could understand the Democratic Party. Doesn't mean I agreed with them, but then in 76, if I'd have been old enough, I would have voted for Carter because <clears throat> the country needed to change. Well, we got four years of Jimmy and realized that was four years of a mistake. And then we got Ronnie and then we got back on track. But and during the Clinton years, that's where all this PC crap started changing. And the Democratic Party started going off the rails and they're just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And I just, I just don't understand it. I mean, hating Donald Trump is one thing, but can you really support all this crap they're doing? I can't. I mean, let's talk about executive orders for a minute. Remember when Joe said that any president that governs by executive order is a dictator? Well, we know who he, who he was talking about. He was going after Trump. Well, let's look at something here. Where is that note? Joe has signed 68 so far. Now, if you do the math, he's on pace to sign 904 in four years. So where would that put him with his predecessors? Well, that would make him number six. FDR, 3,728. Woodrow Wilson, 1,803. Teddy Roosevelt, 1,081. Herbert Hoover, 968. And Harry Truman, 907. And Joe would be at 904. So who's the dictator now? But do you see anyone covering that? Have you seen that on Fox recently, MSNBC, CNN, Take Your Station, WGN? You seen anybody mentioning that? I haven't. Now, I don't watch that much news because it's all biased. Oh, shit. Michigan got another touchdown. With two minutes and 17 seconds left, Michigan is going to win this game. Well, they earned it. Okay. So what are you going to do? I mean... Joe's, of course, we don't know who's behind Joe and who's running the show, but uh, you're going to be sixth on the list of, list of executive orders. And we all remember the hoopla when Trump shut down travel to China when COVID popped up and old Joe was that's xenophobia, that's racist, that's this. And he just shut down travel to uh, Africa because of this Omicron variant. Well, isn't that the same thing? 
Aren't you doing the same thing, Joe? Well, of course, the media is not going to cover that. Fox will. But you won't see that on the other stations. They won't be hammering it. The press won't be hammering the press secretary, Pasaki, because you've got to submit questions before she calls on you, which is utter crap. I mean, that is that is the communist playbook and socialist playbook right there. You will take questions from you after we vetted the questions. What type of bullshit is that? You tell me and we'll both know. It's utter crap. But then I don't see much of what Biden is doing that makes any sense. You know, I did laugh when they signed, they made a big deal and they went to New Hampshire for the uh, infrastructure bill that was passed. Was it $1.2 trillion? And they're standing on an unsafe bridge. Nobody really talked about that. I think Joe mentioned it in his speech, and it's like, gee, I wonder if the bridge is going to collapse. You know, if it's uh, in that bad of shape, I really don't want to be on an unsafe bridge. That makes no sense, because remember, Obama did that. Was it in Ohio, I believe? I don't know if it was Cleveland or Cincinnati when he was talking about his big infrastructure bill. And that was during the, those uh, stimulus packages that were like just under a trillion dollars each. And that this bridge will be rebuilt and that bridge wasn't rebuilt. The country has needed an infrastructure bill for a very long time. I worked construction for 35 years. I've seen bad roads. I've seen bad bridges. And one of the worst, well, there were two. And uh, one was I-35 south of Norman going into Oklahoma City. And the other one was I-44 going over the Arkansas on the west side of Tulsa. The worst one was I-35. That bridge was bad. I mean, just driving over it, you could feel the whole thing shaking. Bridges aren't supposed to do that when you drive over. They'll move a little, but they shouldn't shake. And that that was an old pin, pin and bearing, pinion and bearing pad bridge. And best I could tell, some of those pins had fallen out. The highway department hadn't replaced them. In fact, they had a bridge collapse that was based with the same design, and it fell in. <coughs> that was bad. That killed, was like eight people? Or 16, it was bad. I'd have to look that up. It was bad. So we did need this infrastructure package. Now, no, I haven't read it all. And that falls on me. But uh, concrete's only designed for 20 years, folks. That's, that's it. Anything past 20 years is a bonus. Well, We've got roads that are have surpassed their life expectancy. And the same goes for bridges. They don't last forever unless you can maintain them. Well, as, as the highway system grew and we got two-lane asphalt and concrete roads and then we got the interstate system, a lot of these backwater towns and their steel truss bridges 
were basically just for the local farmers getting into town. Now, you think the county's going to spend a lot of money upkeeping those for, say, a dozen families or so? No. What they would do, since the maintenance dropped off, they started restricting how much weight could go over the bridge. And you've probably seen those where it says two-ton capacity. Believe me, that's that's all they want on that bridge, two tons. And that ain't much when you look at a car that weighs 4,000 pounds. Yet your car is two tons. And I've driven over some of those, and many of us have. And you just kind of creep over it because you're like, gee, is this thing going to take the weight? But they fell in disrepair because of non-use. Okay. But this has been going on and it was exposed when the I-35 bridge collapsed in the Twin Cities. Now, that was a design issue. There's a real good documentary on what caused it. When they built the bridge, they built it wrong. Give me just a second. And that was the gusset plates. They were improperly designed. <sighs> kind of like the walkway in Kansas City that collapsed on New Year's Eve. The structure itself was sound, but the gusset plates that are supposed to take the weight and then transfer it through the structure, instead of being half an inch thick, half an inch thick were a quarter inch thick. So how did that happen? It got by everybody. It got by the contractor. It got by the uh, structural guys with the architectural firm in their shop drawings. It got by the city. Well, this, it would have been the state in this case since it's I-35. So it got past everybody. It just took, what was it, 40, 30 years or so? For it to fail, because it was just, it was rush hour. You had a work crew out there with their equipment. You had all the traffic sitting on the bridge. And it exceeded its weight limit and collapsed. And that is the final, 2742. So, Ohio State is now out of the mix. And that's going to move Michigan up. So that leaves Alabama, Auburn. Okay. Fair enough. Harbaugh finally won a big one. Good for him. Now I just hope the other OSU that I cheer for doesn't suffer the same fate. I can only hope. I can only hope. Okay. So we needed the infrastructure bill. But what we don't need, because I believe, now like I said, I'd have to go in and look at it. But I was discussing this with my daughters. Overcharging stations and all. And in the U.S., there's 128,000 fuel stations. 
according to what I read last summer, they were going to need 500,000 charging stations. And uh, as of right now, each fuel station handles 1,693 vehicles a day. Based on the amount of electrical cars on the road, that's three per charging station. Now, I know it will evolve <coughs> over time, and there will be more electric cars. But then the question comes up, where are you getting the power? You're going to be solar, you're going to be wind, going to be hydroelectric, going to be gas, there's going to be coal. Oh, hell no, it ain't going to be coal. Not if Joe has his way. He'll shut, he'll do what Obama tried to do and shut the whole coal industry down. Joe will do that. And th this whole thing is so pathetic. How could we be energy efficient under Trump and now? Joe has to have this big meeting with Japan and India and China and Russia and OPEC that we need oil. What the hell is that all about? Really? You want to talk about weak? That right there shows how weak he has turned this country in 10 months. 10 months this this is unprecedented and how can you be a democrat and support this i don't get it i really don't get it you have a floodgate at the southern border and finally finally abbott's doing something about seven months too late and I've discussed this. It's in, this is a copy of the Texas Constitution. Read it. And, it, you know, it's just, my son got this when they went to the Alamo. But read it. The governor of the state can protect his state from invasion. It says nothing about relying on the federal government. Well, Greg, you're about seven months too late. And that's all it is. It's an invasion. And who the hell is buying these people Biden-Harris shirts? Where are they getting those? I mean, these are supposed to be down, down and out people, the poorest of the poor. Well, if they're the poorest of the poor, <coughs> why are those shirts so damn white? Why do they have new backpacks? Look at their shoes. Do you see them falling off their feet? Hell, our soldiers in World War II, you've seen the pictures. They've got all types of stuff wrapped around their boots because they were falling apart. And they're being well-fed and supposedly well-clothed. Well, they had to be inventive when the temperature got cold, I, I watched these caravans. I don't see a bunch of people starving to death. I've seen more fat people coming up than I can shake a stick at. Jenny Craig should make a mint off of all these people. You, send, you see them emaciated? Do you see those children like the ones we would see the pictures from in Africa 
that are undernourished and starving. Well, that's what the media would have us believe. I'm looking at these people going, uh, there's nothing wrong. They are nothing like, and how the hell are they trekking two, 3,000 miles and look in the shape that they are? It's scam. Don't tell me the Democrats aren't supporting this, that they're not funding this invasion. Somebody sure is. Okay. I'll get back to Joe in a little bit. But there are a lot of things I'm thankful for. Yeah, one is not being a Democrat. But no matter how bad life is, life is still good. We all have our challenges and ups and downs. And then we have to make a decision. Do we go forward or do we go backwards? Or do we just stay still? Well, if you stay still, nothing changes. If you go backwards, it's just going to get worse. And if you go forward, even though you can't see the future, if you do nothing, nothing will change. And believe me, that's pretty much the boat I'm in right now, but I am going forward. So I was talking about the media a little bit. And I don't care which station it is. And this one really aggravates me. If you watch Fox, and I'd heard this before from another station where they were talking about that uh, there have been more deaths in 2021 than there were in 2020. It's close. But Joe didn't become president until January 20th. So whatever voodoo he was going to throw on COVID can't start until the 20th, 21st. Well, we saw what he did on the 21st when he signed those 15 horrendous executive orders. But it's false. I gave Joe a little credit, okay? I'm not going to start tracking deaths until the first week of February because Joe swore, oh, he he knew how to defeat COVID. He knew what it was going to take. He had a plan. Trump didn't know jack shit. Well, Joe, here's your plan. Since February of 2020, there's been 20,704 thousand two hundred and forty one cases that represents 44 percent of all cases reported since march there's been 307 606 mortalities which compromises 40 percent of the u.s total that isn't more now if you want to go back to january it's going to be close, but for Fox to spout this off just shows stupidity on their part. It's false. I don't care if people want to believe it to push their political agenda forward. It's false. That's why I've tracked these numbers each week since it broke out, just to keep a good perspective on it. And keep an open mind. I mean, why did we have 
72,000 more cases than the prior week. I think we had 698,000 reported, which was 72,000 higher. The numbers aren't going down yet. What is it? 50, what are we at? 51.9% as a country, I believe. And the world is just under 40% or so. Well, you would think with all of this, these people being vaccinated, historically, the numbers go down. They're not. They're going up. And I was debating this with someone the other day, and they said, well, it's the Delta variant. Delta variant's come and gone. So what the hell's going on? Well, a logical explanation is the vaccine isn't combating COVID. It really is that simple because people are still catching it. It's just not killing them. Well, obviously it is. We're still averaging just under 8,000 a week in mortalities. The only country that's ahead of us right now, believe it or not, is Russia, not the USSR, but the state of Russia. For the last two weeks, they have they have documented more deaths than the United States. That's a little odd. But this is why I don't watch the news, not. And when I do, I just have to bite my tongue and shake my head. I mean, the other story is WGN is the fastest growing cable network in whose universe? Look up their ratings. They're horrible. They're absolutely horrible. Banfield's probably got one of the worst shows of them all. I don't know why they keep that ditzy blonde on. I've tried to watch her a few times. It just makes my butt hurt, so I got to turn it off. She's clueless. Why would I want to watch Abrams? I mean, this is the guy that did live PD. Okay, that's a good show. So where do they think he is this news guy? And he comes on with this. Well, you'll know how I think. Like, I give two shits what you think. That's not news, dude. Your opinion doesn't mean jack shit. It really is that simple. Your show, Live PD, was great because it focused on the police departments and what was going on around the country. Just like cops, it was a great show. But where does that make you this heavy-hitting, News anchor, it doesn't. And I don't I don't give a damn what your opinion is. And, and we were discussing this the other day. We don't get news anymore. We have the opinion hour shows. That's all they are, opinion hour shows. Where's the hard-hitting, factual, unbiased news reporting? I don't know. I haven't seen it. The closest we could get to, believe it or not, was Caitlin Bennett and her Liberty Hangout show. Because she's out there with these protesters. She's 
talking to them if they'll give her the time of day. And we saw for our own eyes how they treated her. And it wasn't good, especially at Ohio University. I mean, that was horrible if y'all saw that clip. I mean, that that turned into a mob. In fact, the campus police showed up and just said, well, you created this, so you have to deal with it, and left. (coughs) Seems like that'd be a lawsuit to me. But yeah, they just ignored her pleas for help, and it was bad. I'm surprised they didn't kill a bunch of kids pulling out of that parking lot in their truck. I mean, it was nothing but a mob scene. It, It was horrible. And I think that I recall they met like two girls that were conservative and said, you know, this really isn't who we are. And I'm like, well, then where did all these people, all these kids come from that are so angry and mad and they don't know what they're angry and mad about? But that was, for the most part, good reporting and she's not a trained journalist would she get her degree in like microbiology or something and for those that don't remember she's the gal that when she graduated got a picture taken at kent state wearing her ar-14 which let's just say kent state wasn't real happy about that well get over it but i mean news wise hers wasn't It was an opinion. She would ask questions. She would get responses. Or she would get reactions. And like at Ohio University, it was not a good reaction. It was like watching a BLM protest, mob mentality. And when one person threw something, then everyone else decided that was open season. And that's what they did. But other than that, you show me a network that is not spouting off their own BS opinion. I'd like to see it. You know, that's why I brought these COVID numbers up. I think it was, it could have been the five or something that was spouting off all this crap. But like I said, Joe didn't become president. He wasn't inaugurated until January 20th. So how do you peg the mortalities for the month of January on Joe when he's not even in office? Isn't that what the media did to Trump before he got into office? Blamed him for everything. And he wasn't even in office. Even Obama blamed Trump that his last year in office was bad because of Donald Trump. Donald Trump's running for presidency. He's not in office, dumbass. I know that would require analytical and logical thinking, and there just isn't much of that anymore. There's very little of that, as a matter of fact. Okay. Kyle Rittenhouse. Another reason I'm thankful I'm not a Democrat. Those of us 
that saw the video, what's 15 months ago in real time could make a educated decision on what happened, but we still didn't really know what happened. We saw, because what happened in the parking lot at the auto dealer, it was very dark. It was a difficult video to watch because <clears throat> you just couldn't see anything clearly. But we all saw him leaving and these people coming after him. And they were all fine, upstanding people. Yeah, they all had criminal records. That, that was a real plug for the BLM protesters. If you've got a criminal record, you can be one of us. So watching the families boo-hoo and cry when they're, when Kyle was found not guilty and acquitted, that, well, justice wasn't done. Well, from what I can tell, you didn't raise your kids worth a damn either. You were in here defending their felonious acts and act like they were these angels, which they were not. Not even close. But then that's pretty much what the liberals focus on. I mean, what, how many statues have been built to the felon George Floyd? You want to talk about a take on America? That's it right there. We are going to honor a felon with a rap sheet so long, we can't even count that high. Man should have never been let out of prison. But he was. But when you start hailing the criminals, which the Democrats appear to be on the high road of, that pretty well sums up the direction your society is headed unless the brakes are put on and put on hard. But, okay, so Rittenhouse is acquitted, and I found a few quotes from two of the most prestigious individuals in the United States, Gavin Newsom. The verdict served as a message to armed vigilantes that you can break the law, carry out round weapons built for a military, shoot and kill people, and get away with it. And uh, then the most prestigious of all, Biden, the acquittal would leave many Americans feeling angry and concerned, myself included. But he also urged demonstrators to remain peaceful. I stand by what the jury has concluded, he told reporters earlier. The jury system works and we have to abide by it. Now, you want to talk about Two-Face. Leave many Americans feeling angry and concerned, including myself. Now, that's politics for you right there. You can say both things out of both sides of your mouth and get away with it. Well, what's your stance on it? Well, Joe's in deep shit. Kyle Rittenhouse is going to give 
Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg a run for their money. It's not going to surprise me if the total suits Kyle's attorneys come up with is going to be at or above a billion dollars. Because every major newspaper, the Times, the Post, God knows what San Francisco, Chicago, and L.A. were printing, and I didn't read the Dallas papers. But if they tried and convicted that kid in their paper before trial, (coughs) they're up for a massive defamation suit. Massive. The networks. You know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to list them. They've all got a bullseye on them now. I mean, Sandman, he probably wound up because they didn't disclose all the numbers, but probably 200 million when they libeled him. And all he was doing was attending at Washington, D.C. with his high school for a trip to the nation's capital. And all he did there was stand and watch this Native American bang his drum and the press said it was a white supremacist act and he's wearing a Trump hat and all this. I think his total sentiment was somewhere around 200 million was all said and done. Well, that's why I'm saying a billion dollars because the press convicted Kyle for whoever went to went to trial, especially Joe Biden called him a white supremacist with no evidence. Boy, I bet those attorneys are chomping at the bit and they're going through Joe's financials to see exactly what he's worth and how much they can fleece him because he's he was he was just a private citizen. You think he's got an insurance policy against libel? No. So what I see happening when they start going after Joe is all of a sudden his money's going to disappear in holding companies. And I can see those attorneys going to the judge and saying, we need to pierce the corporate veil. Because we believe money was laundered into this. Of course, Joe will say, I don't know. Well, according to Joe, he has been filing his tax returns. So that's public information. And they can get a hold of those for the last 40 plus years if they wanted to. They could break Joe. Because you don't want to sue for more than what the estate's worth. With the networks and the papers, they've got their big insurance companies behind them. They can afford these checks, only this time it's they're going to feel it. It's going to hurt. And maybe that's what needs to happen. The best thing is that these settlements are so big and so painful that the media has to become accountable 
I mean, remember, Fox has a billion-dollar suit on them from uh, the company that handled the voting machines. And that suit also named some of their anchors specifically. Maybe this is the case that will shake up the media in the United States and will actually start getting some honest reporting. I know that's a pipe dream. I know that's like being Alice in Wonderland. But what else is it going to take to shake up our media and just start reporting the facts and not the opinions? That's kind of a novel idea, isn't it? But the other part of this is what about the social media sites? And we'll look at Twitter and Facebook. You know, they said they didn't promote hate speech and Parler popped up because Facebook was acting as a publisher and so was Twitter. And if they didn't like you or what you said, well, they killed it off. I know I lost like 3000 followers when all that shit hit the fan. I mean, they've become liberal breeding grounds. That's pretty much it when it comes to political discussions. Well, you know, there was a guy that I unfriended because he is a radical, insane Democrat. And he had a post that said, let's see, where is that quote? Where are my damn glasses? my buddy posted he was following the Rittenhouse trial and he posted the picture where Kyle broke down and this guy replied back boo hoo hoo just want to slap the living shit out of him and he basically came back and said uh There it is. This murderer is going to jail for the rest of his life. So this individual had already convicted him. Well, you should have seen his post afterwards. I go on his page just to see what BS he's spouting. And it's just pathetic. It's like, how can someone have that much hatred in them? But there is plenty to go around. So Are Kyle's attorneys going to go after Twitter and Facebook as a whole and then start pulling up these posts? Hell, I'd submit it to them. They said, do you have any posts that were derogatory towards Kyle? I said, hell yeah, here's the guy's name. Here's the date. This is what he did. Will they be held responsible That's how big this libel suit can be. And that's why I'm saying it can have major repercussions in how the media reports and what Facebook and Twitter allow, because I'm sure there's thousands of Twitter posts on hanging Kyle and how he should be hunted down and shot and blah, blah, blah. I didn't waste my time to look them up, but you know they're there. So is Twitter 
<clears throat> going to be held accountable for not policing their forums like they said they were. Remember, they got rid of Trump because, well, they're all lies and falsehoods. Well, what about all these comments from your users? What about the politicians that probably had comments similar to that on Twitter and Facebook? What are you going to do with them? I mean, I am big on accountability. And I talk about that in my management seminar, training seminar. That is one of the biggest things that I discuss is accountability. And if you don't have it, then you don't have shit. You really don't. If you don't want to be accountable, then just move the hell out of the way. And we see that, I see that with the Dallas Cowboys. Accountability. On paper, the Cowboys have the most talent of any team in the NFL. Yet they are underperforming. You have a 40, you have between the quarterback Prescott and the running back Elliott, you got $47 million right there. And what are you getting? Nothing. You're not nowhere near where they should be performing. And, and this is just pathetic. I am not a Cowboys fan, first and foremost. I'm a Packers fan, but I don't have anything good to say about the Packers this year either because Aaron Rodgers needs to go. But I've written several articles and posted them on my blog, LDDJEnterprises.com, and on my Facebook, Jeff Dawson, of who's accountable for the Cowboys on offense. I see a lot of whining. I see a lot of complaining coming from Prescott but I don't see accountability. I don't see anybody trying to take those reins except Pollard. That kid Pollard is phenomenal, and he's making six times less than Elliott. And what's sad is right now, Elliott only has 189 total yards more than Pollard between rushing and receiving. Well, if you start throwing in the kick returns, especially Pollard's run back against the Raiders, that narrows the gap substantially. I mean, this the, these guys are way overpaid and they're way underperforming, and no one's holding them accountable. That C that Prescott has on his jersey needs to be ripped off. He's not the captain of that team. I don't know who is. I'd give it to Pollard right now. At least he's doing something, at least he's playing. He's forcing things. If it's not there, he looks for something. He tries to make something happen. Just like the greats of Sayers and Sanders and Owens and Brown. If it wasn't there, they found something. They made something. If it's not there for Elliott, he just falls down, gains a yard or two. Oh, you afraid you're going to get hurt? Sit on the bench. I know Jerry Jones owns the team, and that's just another story. But for what they're paying, it's time to start holding people accountable or the Cowboys aren't making playoffs. They should beat the Saints because they've just plummeted into oblivion. 
But do you think the Redskins, yeah, I'm not calling them the Washington football team. What a stupid name. You think the Redskins and the Eagles aren't aren't chomping at the bit to knock the Cowboys off? The, they got to play the Eagles once more. They got to play the Redskins twice. If the Eagles win and the Redskins won one out of two, Eagles and Cowboys are tied. Now, yeah, they got to play the lowly Giants, and they're kind of right up there with the Saints. But do you think New York wouldn't have that as the cherry on their cake after this pathetic season they've had of beating Dallas? And then the last game is against the Cardinals. So if nobody wants to hold each other accountable, the Cowboys are going to do the same thing the Texas Rangers did and be watching the playoffs at home in their couch. And that would be absolutely disgusting. I mean, the Rangers were so pathetic. Their talent pool was thin. The management was horrible. The front office is a disaster. The Cowboys are just the opposite of that. But the way they're playing, it's like they're trying to give the Texas Rangers a run for their money. Now, I said I'm a Packers fan. And I said I was happy when the Vikings beat them. I hope Green Bay loses every game from here on out. I know that's not going to happen. But after watching Aaron Rodgers throw his little fit in the offseason and whimper and whine, just take your ass back to L.A., you liberal son of a bitch. Nobody wants to hear it. And I talked about this last week. You know, he lied about getting the COVID shot, just flat out lied. Well, by Joe's mandate, he should have been fired. Oh, it's the NFL and they support the BLM social justice movement. which is going to take me back to Kyle in a minute. But the hypocrisy and the accountability today is just non-existent. It's just non-existent. And if you're having a problem in your company and you can't figure it out, and then you say, well, who's accountable? And nobody knows the answer. You need to call me. We'll find out who's accountable. And we'll find out who needs to stay and who needs to go. Because it is, I do a no BS seminar. I mean, and that's in my book, Cutting to the Chase. It's right there. This is the way you do it. We handle it and we move on. I'm not going to stand around and hem haw and carry on and worry about hurting somebody's feelings. They're either producing it or not. You want to keep paying them two, three hundred thousand a year for nothing, or do you want to get someone in here and start them at 150? and they start producing, and then they'll work their way up to the previous salary, but they're still producing. What do you want? Someone who is a drain on your company or someone who is contributing to your company? It really is that damn simple. And after 35 years of construction, I've seen it from both sides of the fence. And those guys that didn't produce, I fired. That was it. You're not producing. You're gone. Okay. Now I said I was going to get back to Kyle. 
Did you watch the interview? And this goes back to media accountability. <clears throat> I know when I was 17 or 18, I did not have the vocabulary or the analytical thinking that Kyle Rittenhouse did, but then I also didn't stand trial for murder. But when Tucker Carlson interviewed him, Tucker kept baiting him about the defamation suits. And I was just shaking my head. And Rittenhouse had the best answer there was. My, uh, I have some really good attorneys and they're handling it. Well, that wasn't good enough. So Tucker asked him, he changed the question, going after the same thing, trying to bait him into saying, yeah, these are the networks you're going after, blah, blah, blah. And Kyle just, he was well-schooled. He said, I have very good attorneys and they're handling it. Now, why was Tucker trying to bait him? Tucker's supposed to be on his side, right? Logically, yes. But not the way he handled the interview. I mean, you really, Tucker, you really did make yourself look stupid. Sorry. And you're supposed to be this great anchor that's making three to five million dollars a year at Fox. And you're baiting Rittenhouse. Kyle was great. He, he was absolutely great. No doubt about it. So what are you going to do with the media? Hopefully, these defamation suits are going to shake the hell out of the system. Just like Trump tried to do in D.C. He shook it up. And they didn't like it. Republicans, Democrats, independents, the bureaucrats, the lobbyists. My God, they did not like Donald because we're not doing business as usual. Maybe that's why I should run for office. <clears throat> yeah, my daughter said a big no to that because she doesn't want the family going under a microscope, which is what the media would do. But, you know, sometimes you got to make a sacrifice and bite the bullet because I am no BS. And like Abram said, you'll know where I stand. Yeah, policy-wise, you'll know where I stand. And I sure won't be on my knees begging for countries to send us oil because I shut down our own supply, you dumbass. God, pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. Oh, but there's more pathetic on the horizon. And this I didn't see in any news reports, but it popped up on my net zero user feed, which, yeah, I got to take a lot of what they post with a grain of salt. But this article just kind of jumped out and it's like, Oh, what the hell are people bitching about now? Everybody knows St. Jude's Hospital, right? Well, Kate Siemens decided that uh, St. Jude's is evil. 
St. Jude's has billions and ProPublica isn't sure it should. Site argues the charity has overly huge reserves as some of its families struggle financially. You know, they, they say on the commercial, at no cost to the parents. Okay, well, imagine what that bill would be for treating your child of cancer for three to five years. Well, the article goes on, stated mission, ProPublica's stated mission is to investigate abuses of power, which might make its deep dive into St. Jude's Christian Research Hospital seem confusing at first. Why would it be digging into what it describes as the most highly regarded healthcare charity in the country? In a word, money. The Memphis Hospital has lots of it thanks to the ubiquitous mailers featuring smiling, bald patients it sends out and big name celebrity ambassadors. Last year, it brought in a record $2 billion, bringing its reserves to $5.2 billion, enough to keep things running for four and a half years. Now think about that. $5.2 billion is what they have, and that will run the hospital for four and a half years. Without another penny coming in and a reserve it says, needs due to the economic-driven vagaries of charitable giving. The issue in ProPublica's view is in its promise to not build families. That's true, but there are real limits to the financial help it offers, and that can leave families who must take leave from work in dire straits as they struggle to pay their bills. Lawyers for the hospital chided ProPublica for not focusing on the generosity and the aid the hospital provides. So is it an unfair target? The head of the Andrew McDonald B-plus Foundation will doles out $2.5 million in grants to families of pediatric cancer patients, sums it up well, explaining the hospital's marketing makes it seem like families walk away financially untouched. People say to me, why are you helping St. Jude's family? Well, what happens when a family lives in Augusta, Georgia, and they're being treated at St. Jude? They still have to pay the rent on their apartment back in Georgia. They still have to make their car payment. And it's not my position to say whether St. Jude should be paying for all those expenses or not. I'm just explaining that it's not a totally free ride. ProPublica talks to families of patients who are in financial distress and had no idea St. Jude had billions in the bank. That's just insane, says one. That just blows my mind. Well, two, wham, wham, bad. Stay home and have your child treated at a local hospital and see how well that goes. See if they get the best cancer treatment available for children. Now, I didn't get a chance to look up to see how many patients St. Jude has. Let's see. See if I can find that real quick. So if their if their budget will go four and a half years right now. Oh, two, 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 two. Is that gonna give me anything I want to know? Probably not. But let's say just for fun that there's, they've got over 100 patients. Is it St. Jude's responsibility to pay the expenses 
of the families of those 100 patients. They're giving your child free health care. Yes, I understand people want to be there. I mean, you have the Ronald McDonald houses where families stay free. I mean, could St. Jude set up something like that? I don't know if they have or haven't. I, sh- I will research that. But so if they've got enough money for four and a half years, how much money would they have if they paid the expenses, somebody's mortgage and somebody's car payments for 100 patients for two years? How far does that money go? You do the math. So let's go after this hospital because they're not taking care of everyone. Doesn't that sound like a socialist plan? Well, they've got four and a half billion in reserves. Well, and I've discussed and written about this go and look at the division one colleges on what their endowments are and why aren't they helping their communities? I mean, I did the top 10 and the amount of money they have is just ungodly. There should be no slums in Boston, Massachusetts or New York city or Cleveland or Cincinnati or Dallas Fort Worth, I mean, name the city, name the university, look at the war chest, and then look at the neighborhood where they recruit these kids. There is no parity. It's just off the walls. It's insane. So now we want to blame St. Jude's. Did they address in this article anywhere on the care they're given? No. Do they talk about the success rate of children actually getting to go home to their families alive? No. We want to talk about they have too much money. And they should share that. Gee, doesn't that sound like the current administration? Your fair share? And that's the playbook out of Ayn Rand's book, Atlas Shrugs, that's what it was all about. The Fair Share Act. Too long, too many have made too much while everyone else suffers, even though the government regulations were the reason for all the other businesses failing. But the government wasn't accountable. They had to blame those that were still thriving and making money and producing goods and trying to fuel a struggling economy. Let's not look in the mirror and identify the problem. Let's flip the mirror and blame someone else, and the public will believe it because they're not smart enough to figure it out. In fact, that's one of the lines in the movie after John Galt gives his big speech. 
and that Professor Ferris says, oh, he's right. That was, that was above the American people's heads. They'll never understand that. Wrong. So where's the accountability? There isn't any. Okay. Now, I found something else this week, and it's not been, you're not going to see it in the news. It was on a Facebook post. I think it was the World War II site. And I want to read this in its entirety so that you get an idea of what was going on in the 30s versus today. And then you can make your analogy and how this works, but in October 1937, the U.S. Asiatic Fleet Commander, Admiral Harry Yarnall, had written a letter to his superiors pointing out Japan's reliance on imports, a letter that eventually made its way to the White House. The Admiral suggested that the United States, Britain, France, the Netherlands, and the Soviet Union cut off all trade with Japan battling the Asian fascist with commerce instead of troops. The idea reminded FDR of when America used a similar technique against Tripoli in the Barbary Wars, the subject of an article he published in Asia magazine in 1923, an article he hoped at the time would strengthen ties between Tokyo and Washington. Yarnell's logic was so convincing that it begat a new foreign policy, the thinking that with its oil, iron, and other material exports, The United States was providing Japan with the materials it needed to subjugate the Chinese and in time the whole of East Asia. In 1938, the State Department announced its vigorous opposition to the sale of American manufactured aeronautical equipment to nations employing airplanes to attack innocent civilians. And in 1939, extended this moral embargo to production methods for aviation-grade gasoline. The Japanese immediately noticed even the new commander-in-chief of the Kapine fleet, the Navy's highest-ranking seagoing officer, Admiral Isoroko Yamato, living aboard flagship Nagato, anchored in Hiroshima Bay next to the military port of Cure. Yamato wrote Vice Admiral Shigatara Shimada in September 39 that, as Japan imported most of its oil and steel from the Anglo-Saxons, losing them as allies was foolish, especially since there is no chance of winning a war with the United States for some time to come. Ambassador Grew, meanwhile, foresaw the unintended consequences of economic weaponry in October. In both my talks with the president, I brought up clearly my view that if we want to start sanctions against Japan, we must see them through to the end, and the end may conceivably be war. I also said that if we cut off Japanese supplies of oil and that if Japan then finds she cannot obtain sufficient oil from other commercial sources to ensure national security, she will in all probability send her fleet down to take the Dutch East Indies. Roosevelt didn't listen to Grew's caution. Instead, in January 1940, he ordered Secretary of State Cordell Hall to inform Japan that the United States would now withhold key petroleum exports since so many countries were engaged in fighting in various parts of the world that my government felt that it should undertake to conserve quite a number of commodities and products in order to be able to better defend itself in case it should be attacked, as the secretary phrased it. 
The government-dominated press in Japan reacted vehemently to the embargoes announced in 1940. Yamato wrote Shimato that the Konyo government's actions in complaining against it reminds me of the aimless account of schoolboy, which has no more consistent motive than the immediate need or whim of the moment, and warned Prime Minister Konyo, if you tell me, that it is necessary that we fight, then in the first six months to a year of war against the U.S. and England, I will run wild and I will show you an uninterrupted succession of victories. I must also tell you that should the war be prolonged for two or three years, I have no confidence in our ultimate victory. I hope at best to make every effort to avoid war with America. And that's Craig Nelson in his book, Pearl Harbor, From Infamy to Greatness. So as you can see, we wanted to cut off trade with Japan for one reason. They were at war with China. And we were supplying the raw materials for them to build the implements of war to fight China. That's a given. And he was right about the Dutch East Indies. Where did Japan go on December 7th? They went down to the Dutch East Indies. Of course, they went rampant to the Southeast Pacific. Well, here we are 90 years later, 85, and we're doing the same thing. Trump tried to stop this crap with China. Remember when Joe said he was all about civil rights for everyone around the world and that they must be upheld and they everyone should be worried about humanity and humanitarian goals and blah, blah, blah. Then someone tell me why we're going to Beijing for the Olympics. You know, I mentioned Jimmy Carter earlier, and he was a failure as a president, but he was a humanitarian. And when Russia invaded Afghanistan, what was one of his first acts? We're not taking part in the Summer Olympics. <clears throat> Now, that cost, I believe it was NBC who had the rights to the Summer Olympics. <clears throat> An ungodly amount of money because they had the league. Of course, it was a stupid contract. I remember reading about it. All the equipment that they were taking over to Russia to televise it had to stay. And they had to pay the Russians like $50 million to televise the game. So they not only paid money, they left their equipment. Carter said we're leaving. And of course, they just had a fit because they just got fleeced. Well, they'd have gotten fleeced anyway. But if Joe was such this big humanitarian, why are we going to uh, the Olympics? Why are we not boycotting them? Trump was right in the way he dealt with China. Like him or not, he was right. 
he took a hard stance and said, we're done with this. Now, the people, the presidents that opened up this massive trade deficit with China were Bill Clinton and Bush Jr. Jr. really opened up the door. And it's been upside down ever since. And it just gets worse. But uh, China is an oddity in that they're a communistic, capitalistic society. They rule with an iron fist, but they figured out real quick that we need money to fuel this engine. And the only way to generate that money isn't through social programs. It's through the exchange of goods with the West because we can make them cheaper. They're definitely not better, but we can make them cheaper. Just like the Japanese, they were great at mimicking electronics. The Asians are very good at that. And China has exploited, they have shown just how well capitalism works. Granted, in a communistic government. Because it's the government that is benefiting from all of this. All this massive income, all this massive money. So what would happen if the same stance that was taken in 1937 took place today? If the United States, if Germany, if France, Spain, and Italy said no more, we're cutting you off because you are subjugating your own people. Would that force China to go to war? It's possible. Because they would see that money dry up. Now, we would see a lot more electronic hacking like we're seeing from these uh, ransomware guys in Russia. Believe me, that the Chinese would say, we'll just go to war over the Internet. And we're going to go after bank accounts and major financial institutions. Because if they're going to try and bring us down, then we're going to repay them in kind and bring them down. So, yeah, we would be at war. But what would the fallout be? What would happen in North Korea if they lost their funding from China? Okay. Let's see what time is it. So we have all righty, Mr. Don. Okay. I don't think we'll go over that. I spelled that right, Jeff. There you go. excuse me so what's going to happen there something's got to break but not under this current administration they're weak they are beholden to everyone else they're showing that on a daily basis their policies are failing 
their strategy sucks. And if I was up there, to a degree, I would be like Trump. We're not doing business as normal anymore. It's time to be accountable. If you don't want to be accountable, you're fired. We're not going through this election crap anymore, per se, in that you don't want to do your job, you're gone. Well, my people, you're fired and they can have a special election. You're done. You have fleeced your constituents and your country far too long. And it's time for a change. And all you lobbyists, we're shutting you down. And if you and if all your law firm was set up for was to get favors from DC, your license are revoked. Okay. It's revoked. That's it. Okay, 355. Okay. And it's just that simple. You're done. You're out of business. The, the fleecing of DC has got to stop. I mean, we cannot continue this horrendous path we've been down with nobody cares about the deficit. We, we just can't keep spending, 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 and spending. And you can tax the super rich all you want to, and it won't put a dent in our deficit. There will be no dent in the deficit until the government stops spending more than it breaks in. And when Trump came into office and it, we were $20 trillion upside down, I actually looked at it. Okay, if we bring in 15 to $16 trillion a year, that's what the IRS collects, then you're going to go to Congress and say you can only spend $14 trillion a year. That's it. That other $2 trillion we bring in is going to knock the deficit down. And if he would have been elected for a second term, at least that could have put a dent in it. That could have taken, collected $8 trillion and paid our debt down. But at this rate, it's not going to go down. It's just going to get worse. And every time Joe says, it's already paid for. Yeah, that's the same thing LBJ said, that my great society won't cost the American taxpayer one dime. I'm just going to borrow against Social Security for that plan, and you're not going to know about it. Yeah, $18 trillion later, how's that war on poverty going? It's not. It's gotten worse. But then that's what happens when government gets gets involved. Okay. Let's see here. All right. The last thing. Just a quick health update. I will start cross state radiation SBRT treatments Thursday. And I'm very excited about that. I don't know what to expect. I've read all the information they gave me, but it's only five treatments, so it can't be that invasive and it can't be that bad. I'm just ready to get on with it and move on. But in the interim, when I was getting form fitted, 
I wound up with the double hernia. That's been fun. And uh, so I will have that surgery probably sometime in December. But I did find out one thing. They were, I mean, you know, guys, you got prostate cancer. Forget your modesty. You're going to be there for all the world to see. Big, small, or indifferent, it doesn't matter. But when the hernia popped up and I started looking at, you know, you need a hernia belt and this, that, and the other, I said, well, you know, I'm just going to make one myself. So I just got a washcloth, rolled it up, put it in my underwear, and that keeps everything in place. Instead of spending 25 to $70 for a hernia belt, a wash rag is an excellent substitute. Believe me, it works. I can walk without pain because that one on the right side, I mean, it pops. For you guys that have hernias, you know what I'm talking about. It pops and you feel and it hurts like hell. Then you got to pop it back in. So this wash rag rolled up. Yeah, I'm not doing it to impress the women. How's that? I do that with my good looks. All right, we'll take a pass on that one too. But... uh it's coming right along, and then down the road, they're going to look at my back and the screws I have from 2010, see if they need to stay or go. And then a nagging injury from 40 years ago when I went roller skating and blew out my knee, that needs a little attention. So I was describing this to Jerry last night, and he was drinking his Dos Equis, smoking a cigarette, going, damn, son, you just need to go to the body shop. And I said, well, we're working on it. We're getting there. You know, at 62, we got a few things wrong that need to be addressed. And when it's all said and done, we'll be good to go. We will be good to go. Okay. If you like the show, if you like the content, you can, they got monthly subscriptions, $2.99, $5.99, $9.99. I do other videos on my YouTube channel, Director 59, that I can't do here. And there's some good information there. I still have the GoFundMe, Jeff Dawson, motivational speaker and author for hire. That's still running. But I would rather sell books and do seminars than take handouts. I don't, subscriptions aren't handouts. GoFundMe, that is helping. Just straight up. I'm also a authorized Herbalife salesman. I haven't been able to walk in the last week or so because of this hernia issue, but I'm still taking the products and uh, they work because I was noticing the other day. I bought a new belt back in July of 2020 for my daughter's wedding. And I think I was on the third hole from the end. Well, now I'm at the final hole to the point that in a couple of weeks, at the rate things are going, I'm going to have to drill a hole in that belt because even my jeans are having a hard time staying up. Nobody wants to see me walking down the street with my jeans around my ankles. I don't want to see that. That would just be appalling and disturbing, and I'd probably wound up in loose stare, and I don't plan to go there. Well, that's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was informative and hope you learned something. And if you did leave comments, I will post this on my Facebook site 
tell me what you like about the about what I cover, what you don't like, what you think I should spend more time on, give more attention to, and what you would hear less of, because this is geared for you, the listeners, not me. And I will cover what is on your mind. So I will close with that. You all enjoy the rest of your Thanksgiving weekend, and I will talk to you in two weeks. I hope you enjoyed our time together. I know I did. Without you wonderful listeners, this show would not be possible. If you want to know more about me and how my brain works, that's a scary thought. Check out my books at jeffdawsononamazon.com, websites, LDDJ Enterprises, and jeffdawsonauthor.site for upcoming releases and teaser excerpts from past and present publications. You can also contact me at Facebook, LDDJ Enterprises Publishing, or email LDDJEnterprises at gmail.com or on Twitter at JeffDawson59. Have a great week and look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Dawson's Domain.